You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. Welcome to episode 42 of The Melting Podcast. I am your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin. Hey, we switched the order on that. I think it actually worked really well. We should always say me first. Okay, me first. Not what I meant, but Episode okay. 42. This is the meaning of life, you know. Yeah. Me. And bad poetry. Me first. Then bad poetry. Then bad poetry. Thank you for taking my instruction on that, though. No problem. So what do we have first? Well, other than me. Well, my middle name. Okay, so we have me, and we have your middle name, but then what else? Oh, we have, we have uh, material. We have content today. We usually do, but what is that content? Literary. I didn't say, of what category is that content? And yes, that was a grammatically sound sentence. I meant, specifically, what content do we have for our listeners today? Oh, now that you've been specific, we have a main ingredient story. <gasps> oh, those are my favorite main ingredient things. This one's special. You're special. Thank you. Well, it is the day after Valentine's Day. I suppose I should show a little love. Well, I hope I get this out the day after Valentine's Day. It might be you the will. day after that. No, it's the day after Valentine's Day. Some people celebrate it a day late, so it doesn't matter either way. National Chocolate Goes on Sale Day. Part one. Part one. Yeah, because there, there are three of those. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When's the second one? Every day. It's the day after Easter. Every day. And the third chocolate one. Chocolate is on sale every day. And the third one is the day after Halloween. Halloween. Well, that's not just chocolate. That's candy day. Candy day. Anyway, now that we've talked about candy, which is delicious, let's talk about cheese. I think I like cheese better than candy. Cheese is great. Mmm, Gruyere. Cheese is like the candy of the dairy aisle. If only you could Gruyere own. <laughs> I've been waiting for that all day. I've seriously been waiting to say that all day. I knew we were going to record this tonight, and I waited all day to say that. Wow. <laughs> I, I, wow. It's dedication. Anyway, back to the cheddar. So. Just cut the cheese already. <laughs> no, the real cheese. I've, I've got some. It's, it came pre-sliced. Ooh, fancy. Say things. <laughs> Oh, and this is why we should not do a live recording without some kind of script. Mm -hmm. So this main ingredient story, I told you it's special. And it's about cheese. It's about cheese. Yes, cheese is in the title. Mm -hmm. But the reason it's special, we've had our buddy Chris Jackson on the show. He has a boat. He has a boat. Makes me jealous. <laughs> he also has a trilogy of books that are sci-fi comedy called the Cheese Runners Trilogy. Cheese! And we're going to actually be doing a food critic segment on that trilogy after the story. <gasps> but we'll also be giving away free Audible codes to all three of the Cheese Runners trilogy stories. Yes, indeed we shall. We have our winner. We will announce it later. Later. Thank you for everyone who participated in the contest. Yay! This story has never been produced in audio before. It is a prequel 
to the Cheese Runners trilogy. So listen to this story. And then, you know, maybe go buy the books to find out the rest of the story. Or go to Audible and get them. Because the audio version was actually pretty well done. I, I enjoyed it Like I said, buy the books, whether it's in paper form or digital form or audio form. Just buy them. Because you should. Buy them in all forms. I'm pretty sure Chris Jackson would very much appreciate that. Yeah. Anyway, here's Cheese Pirates. Bon appétit. Cheese Pirates by Chris A. Jackson. Patient name, Harry Fish. Double compound fracture of both radius and ulna with severe tendon damage and disarticulated cartilage at both wrist and elbow. The doctor gave me one of those you're really screwed, buddy looks that they hope you don't understand. Unfortunately, I understood. How the hell did this happen? You get your arm caught in heavy machinery? Turk! I gasped between jolts of agony as the nurse positioned my arm on the exam table. What? I said, Turk. What's a Turk? He's not a what, he's a who. Well, he's kind of a who. Hell, I don't know, maybe he is more of a what. But Turk is a man, and he's what happened to my arm. A man did this? He gave me a disbelieving <laughs> chuckle and a sardonic smile. Not unless he was wearing powered battle armor. Turk doesn't need powered battle armor. Turk is powered battle armor. <laughs> he said, as if it was some deeply insightful medical diagnosis of my shattered arm. Nurse, administer 500 milligrams of Morphotrex, I am. The patient is delusional. Hey, wait, I am not delusional. I swatted the hypo away and glared at the nurse, which had about the same effect as a fly upon the windshield of a speeding sky car. I don't like general anesthetics. I mean, who knows what secrets could be revealed under the influence of some brain-influencing drug. You've got to believe me. Turk is, uh, well, he's rather large, and when his temper is up, he does things that break bones. I was dumb enough to get my bones between him and what he was upset about, which cost me. They both looked at me like I was delusional. Put the hypo away. The doctor ordered, which was just what the doctor ordered, as far as I was concerned. Okay, maybe I was a little delusional. But I'd been sitting with my shattered arm in a pressure splint for three days before finally getting somewhere it could be treated. I was a little punchy. Pain does that to me. So, while I put these 682 pieces of the two bones in your forearm back together, why don't you tell me how this happened? No hypo? I asked, eyeing the nurse, who looked a little hypo-happy, if you know what I mean. No hypo. We'll numb the arm with a neuralizer field. Good. Okay. My arm went numb as the nurse switched on the field generator. Well, where do I start? I usually find the beginning a good place. Nurse, give me a retractor and a drape. I've got to get these bits of bone aligned. Expletive deleted. Sarcastic physicians. I thought as he applied the drape and began rearranging the bits of shattered bone in my arm. Well, we were delivering some, uh, product to a buyer in the Argulus system. I'd just been promoted to executive officer of the, uh, ship we were on, so I was on the tactical monitors, right? Sure. Something went crack and my arm moved. I tried to ignore it. Yeah, good luck with that, Harry. Sonocautery on that bleeder. Yeah, perfect. Go on. Oh. Anyway, 
We had just dropped out of string space, and I was a little jumpy, you know. The scanners are always a little wonky from the jump field, and take a few seconds to clear, so I was, you know, jumpy. He was jumpy, the nurse said, flicking a glance that told me she wasn't buying a word of my delicately deceptive diatribe. Jumpy, got it. Remove that bit of lacerated cartilage. It's in my way, and it's useless anyway. We'll replace it. Something jerked inside my arm, and I heard a little plop of a former part of my anatomy hitting the bottom of a waste bucket. The doctor glanced at me from over the drape. Go ahead and continue. I'm fascinated. I swallowed, didn't believe him for a second, and continued. So when the sensors cleared, I saw there was a transponder signal coming in, and two vessels on the scanner. The signal was a distress call, and the two ships were way too close for anything but an intentional maneuver. You know, like within 200 clicks of one another. What's a click? A kilometer, Doc. Don't they teach you stuff like that in medical school? No. They only teach us how to put together broken bones and stuff. Go on. Oh. So, anyway. The captain didn't want us to do anything, but the distress call sounded pretty urgent. They were saying they had all kinds of wounded, and that the other vessel was completely hauled, crew dead, cargo abandoned. That last bit got the captain's attention, so he brought the ship around in a short parabolic. Or rather, the pilot did, after I typed the orders in for him. He told me to run the navigational calculations through the computer, but I had figured him out already and didn't see the need to waste time. The doctor glanced at me from over the drape. I'm pretty good with numbers. Okay, so you flew over to the other ships. And then what? Well, we didn't fly, since flight implies some type of aerodynamic interaction with an atmospheric component. He glared at me. Uh, air, you know? But we did maneuver over to the two damaged ships. They were both damaged? He asked, extracting another bit of broken bone from my arm with a jerk and a curse as blood sprayed his surgical mask. I swallowed again and tried not to vomit on the nice doctor. Uh, yeah, they were both pretty banged up. Looked like a Farfnian patrol cruiser had chewed them up and spat them out, but there wasn't another ship for a whole parsec. A what? A parsec. What's a parsec? About 30.86 pentameters, 3.262 light years, or 1.918 times 10 to the 13th power miles. What are you? Some kind of encyclopedia? Uh, no, not exactly. He stared at me, clearly unconvinced. Okay, so maybe I'm not so persuasive. I've just got away with numbers, that's all. But I thought you said you were in a system. Three and a quarter light years is a long way. No ships in the whole system? I said we were in the Argulus system. I said we were in the Argulus system. They're pre-space flight. Oh, so what were you delivering? Farfnian entertainment equipment, I said with a completely straight face. I wasn't about to tell them what our real cargo was. If the hospital found out we'd been hauling the most valuable illicit commodity in the galaxy, my bill would go through the roof. He stared at me over the drape for a few seconds, and I saw the two or three non-medical neurons he possessed click together behind his eyes. He got it. Smart boy. There are Farfnians in the Argulus system? He asked, his tone measured. I always wondered how you measured a tone, and I was about to ask him, but I figured this wasn't the time. Yeah, they're helping them develop spaceflight. Makes sense. Not really, but the Argulans have some resources the crabs want and the crabs are using the excuse of training them in spaceflight to cover the fact that for cleaning the system out and leaving them without a scent to their names. What's a scent? 
A penny? No idea what a penny is. Uh, know what a dollar used to be? Oh, sure. I have one myself. It's a collector's item. Pre-Farfnian and everything. I've got it in a nice oak frame on my wall. Well, a cent is one one-hundredth of a dollar. They used to cut a dollar into a hundred pieces? Oh, come on! No, a cent is a coin that used to be worth one one-hundredth of a dollar. Huh? But that'd be only about one one-millionth of a farf. Yeah, I know. They only used them before the Farfnians landed on Earth and totally screwed up the economy. Oh. Okay. Well, what about the ships? Oh, yeah. So anyway, we brought our ship in carefully, right between the other two. The one issuing the distress signal, a little courier-class freighter, looked a little less banged up. The other one, a larger Farfnian ore hauler, looked like it had been really mauled. The captain decided to board the first one and put me in charge of the boarding party. I actually smiled at the memory. I was pretty jazzed up, you know, my first command and everything. Hmm? Something sizzled and smoke rose from behind the drape. The odor brought back memories of a Saturday afternoon barbecues when I was a kid. I swallowed and tried not to smell. Not an easy thing to try not to do. So anyway, I met with the rest of the boarding party on the main deck, two security goons and our med tech. The captain was a little nervous, so the security detail was armed. That's when I met Turk. He was one of your own security detail? The sizzling stopped and he peeked over the drape. Yeah, didn't I tell you that? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he was. And he broke your arm? Well, not right then. That happened later. Why don't you just tell me how it happened? I thought I was. He gave me a quizzical look, so I explained. It's a story, Doc. Just go with it. Didn't your mommy ever tell you stories? Okay. Sarcastic cracks about your doctor's childhood while he's putting together your shattered arm might not be a very bright thing to do, I admit. But there are certain things that just have to be said. As a matter of fact, no. He went back to his work without a word. Oops, I thought. I must have touched a nerve. My arm jerked as he touched a nerve, but I didn't feel anything thanks to the neuralizer field. Lucky me. So anyway... We were waiting by the lock while the pilot docked with the ship that still had a live crew aboard, and I was chatting with the boarding party. Chatting? Uh, yeah. Well, maybe I was yammering a little. Nervous energy, you know. Yammering? Okay, I was blathering like an idiot, I admit it. I thought so. <laughs> he chuckled and returned to my arm. Something whined like a dentist drill, and I felt the vibrations up in my shoulder. I concentrated on not puking. So, we were chatting when my calm bleeped and the captain told us we were about to dock and to be careful. I told him no problem, and we felt the thump of the lock seals matching with those of the other ship. The pressure indicator flashed green, so we cycled the lock and I stepped through. That was when Turk grabbed my arm. And broke it. He cocked an eyebrow at me. He broke your arm for walking through the airlock first? Oh no, that didn't happen until later. He just dragged me back and told me the captain had said to be careful, and that meant security went first. He hefted this big rifle-like thingy, and he and his partner advanced like they were expecting a squad of Farfnian shock troops. He apologized for grabbing me, so I let it slide and even thanked him for keeping me safe. You thanked him? Well, uh, yeah. I might have been a little sarcastic, but I did thank him. Uh-huh. I don't think he picked up on the sarcasm anyway. He's not the sharpest knitting needle in the basket, if you know what I mean. I think I'm beginning to understand why he broke your arm. 
Well, yeah, I already told you he had a short temper. He really needs to get a handle on that. The doctor looked at me like I had said something ridiculous. But since I hadn't, I just ignored him. So, we filed into the other ship's airlock, and the inner door cycled. A female officer was standing there with her arm in a sling and blood on her uniform, and she seemed really shaken. Shaken? He asked. Yeah, you know, as opposed to stirred, I said with a chuckle. He looked at me and blinked. I don't get it. Oh, come on. Don't tell me you've never seen a James Bond movie. Who? How old are you, anyway? What does that matter? He snapped in a defensive tone. Ooh, a little touchy, aren't we? Oh, it's just an old joke. You can usually tell someone's young by the jokes they don't get, you know. Oh, well, how old are you, then? Older than I look. How much older? You're the doctor, can't you tell? People aren't like trees, Mr. Fish. You can't cut them in half and count the rings. Ah, oh, well, that's a good thing, I guess. But with all the new technology, you've got to be able to do some kind of scan that'll tell you how old I am. Yes, we could. If you wanted to buy the hospital a cortical stem cell scanner. There are only a few million farfs. In your line of work, that's just a drop in the bucket, right? Well, not exactly. Anyway, let's just say I might give that dollar bill on your wall a run for its money in the age department. You're kidding me. He looked a little stricken, maybe even shaken. You've had a rejuvenation treatment? One or two, I admitted, nodding back toward my arm. Don't you have a few bones to put back together? Oh, yeah. He went back to work, and I went back to my story. So, the officer said her name was Kikira, and she was obviously the ship's pilot. Obviously? He asked, and then realized what I meant. Oh, you mean she was bald? Uh-huh. I was really starting to wonder about this guy. If his medical skills matched his wit, he'd put my arm together backwards. I tried to peek over the drape, but the nurse gave me this dirty look that they teach you in first-year nursing school. And you said she looked shaky. Yeah. She said the captain and the exec were dead, and that about half the crew were badly wounded. I introduced myself, and tried to get the point across that we were going to help them, and that she didn't have to worry. I guess I should have figured something else was wrong, because she didn't seem too convinced. You already said that you weren't very persuasive, he said. Yeah, but she was acting strange, kind of twitchy, you know? No, I don't know. Twitchy how? She kept blinking and jerking her head to one side. I figured she might have nerve damage or a head injury, so I really didn't think that much about it. Our med tech said she was okay, except for a sprained shoulder, so we just followed her down to the main hold where the rest of the wounded were. Wounded? Don't you mean injured? What's the difference? Well, wounded usually result from violent action, like gunfire. Injured are just hurt, like in a car accident. Oh, well, I never really thought of it. But in this case, no, I did mean wounded, though I didn't really know it at the time. Oh, so she was trying to tell you something. She was? Yeah, with the head twitching and the blinking. Oh, you know, you're probably right. Huh. I never really thought of it that way. I guess I was a little distracted. Distracted? Uh, yeah, you know, with, uh, stuff. Stuff? Yeah, stuff! He stared at me, obviously not buying my witty repartee. Okay, so the pilot was a knockout, all right? She's like a 20 on a 10-point scale, and she was all injured, and her jumper was torn, and she was acting helpless. 
I was distracted. That explains it. Yes, it does. Perfectly reasonable. Yes, it is. They put her there on purpose, as a decoy. Well, yeah, I figured that out later. They had her bugged, so she couldn't just blurt out that they'd been boarded by pirates, and that the rest of the crew were being held captive in the hold, and that we were going to be next as soon as she lured us down there. I thought about it for a minute. Maybe she was trying to tell me something, with all the winking and twitching and stuff. I just thought she was coming on to me. There's a surprise, the nurse muttered, earning a glare from my side of the drape. Well, anyway, I found out later that I'm not her type. Oh, she wasn't wooed by the sarcastic, dashing executive officer? Uh, no. She wasn't wooed by a human. Huh? She's a xenophile. Ew! He said, dropping some little bit of electrosurgical gadgetry on the floor in his shock. That's disgusting. This coming from a guy whose idea of fun is probably cutting people open and rearranging their insides? I didn't want to offend him again, so I said, Well, I'm not into it myself, but she seems happy enough. She does a lot of traveling and meets a lot of, uh, things. Ugh. She makes a lot of friends. I'll bet. No, really. She's kind of a one-person, interspecies public relations department, not to mention a pretty fine pilot. So she led you into a trap, huh? I suppose you could call it that, but she didn't do it on purpose. They were holding about half the crew hostage, and told her they'd kill them if she didn't bring us down there. What else could she do? You said the pirates had her bugged. She could have written you a note or something. I suppose she could have, but that might have given it away and killed the whole crew. I guess she didn't want to risk it. So who were these pirates anyway? He started squirting new bone into the gaps of my broken bones, humming tunelessly. Oh, well, we found out as soon as we stepped into the loading bay. One of them cracked Turk alongside the head with a piece of steel reinforcing beam, while another grabbed Kikira and held her like a shield. The other security guard got off a shot, which must have hit something, because he went down in a hail of gunfire. My medtech fainted, and a claw about the size of a Buick Strato Navigator closed around my arm. I thought you said Turk broke your arm. I did. The claw didn't break the bone, though it did hurt like the Dickens. I kind of yelped, which... You mean you screamed? No. I yelped, kind of an involuntary cry of alarm. He screamed, he told the nurse. Yep, he definitely screamed. I did not scream. I yelped. Fine, so after you yelped... Well, the crab that grabbed me garbled something at Turk, which must have made him mad. Wait, I thought you said Turk got hit with a piece of reinforcing beam. Yeah, he did. Maybe that was what pissed him off. I don't know. The Farfnian who had me was using some pretty harsh language, too. It was hard to tell exactly what set him off. So they were Farfnians? Oh, yeah. I thought I said so. Nope. So why didn't they just shoot you all? Well, I think they wanted us alive to talk our way back onto the ship and take it without damaging it as badly as they had this one. There weren't many of them left. They probably should have shot Turk, though that might have pissed him off even more. And he was pretty mad already. How did you know? He was bending this piece of reinforcing beam around the crab's neck like he was tying a bow on a Christmas present. Uh, you're kidding. I told you he was mad. Yeah, but, um, okay. So what happened then? Well, then the other Farfians did try to shoot him, but the one Turk was holding soaked up most of the gunfire. 
He pulled a sidearm, since he dropped the big rifle thingy when he got hit, and fired. He must have fired more than once, but the shots were so close together it sounded like someone walking on bubble wrap. One hit the crab who was holding me, and peeled back his carapace like a lobster at a picnic. Wasn't he afraid of hitting you? Oh, Turk doesn't miss what he's aiming at. How many Farfnians were there? Well, none, when Turk stopped firing. He kind of made a mess. How many? Um, six or seven, I guess. It was hard to tell. I should have done the math, but I didn't have time to count all the claws and divide by ten. And he didn't even get hurt? Oh, I suppose he was scratched up a little, but he lives for that macho crap. He started spouting orders and waving guns around like he owned the place. That's when I made my mistake. What mistake? The one that broke my arm. What did you do? Well, I kind of told him to shut the hell up and stop waving his stupid gun around before he hurt someone. And he broke your arm? For that? Well, I kind of made a disparaging remark about his former profession, too. His former profession? Yeah. Turk used to be a Marine. And you said... I said if he didn't stop acting like a dumb jarhead, I'd take his gun away and, uh, put it someplace uncomfortable. The doctor chuckled, and even the nurse <laughs> broke into a smile. That doesn't sound too smart. Well, I've never been accused of being politically correct. So he got mad and broke your arm. Yeah. So I was forced to promote him to security chief. Huh? Well, someone had to take the job, and I had to take command of the ship, since her officers were all dead. Kakira was the pilot. She couldn't take command and pilot at the same time. Her hold was full of some pretty low-grade, uh, product. But it paid for our trip home, and my boss promoted me to captain. So you ended up with your own ship and a broken arm. Not a bad trade. I'll take it, I said, smiling as the last suture clipped into place. How's my arm? You tell me, the doc said, switching off the neuralizer field. I put a nerve block in so it shouldn't hurt for a day or so. Can you wiggle your fingers? Yep. I proved so, and said, thanks again, doc. What do I owe you? The bill will be processed by the accounting department, he said, peeling off his gloves and thanking the nurse. You won't have to pay it, though. The joys of the Farfnian medical plan. They just take it out in resources. I'd rather pay it now. I pulled out my wallet and leafed through the sheaf of notes and dusty business cards. I'm a little short on cash. How about a wheel of nice, sharp cheddar? We got so many bloopers from our recording of this story. It's pretty much going to be its own blooper episode. Or it's it. Yeah, It'll, you'll see it eventually. But yeah, there's. Oh my gosh, Theo cannot talk. Farf. I'm just looking for the word farf a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, so the the actual trilogy um, follows the story of Harry Fish going through being a cheese smuggler all the way to being a cheese lord basically kind of like being a drug lord only of cheese drug lord of cheese mm -hmm. i could happily hold that title well why don't we go to a promo real quick and then we'll come back and i'll tell you more about the trilogy how quick like right now
All right, the cheese is bubbling and we're back. Oh, that was quick. I told you. Yes, you did. Very, very good, AF. No. Very good. Yay. Had your pat on the head for the day. I don't have to do anything else. Yay. Yay. Actually, you do need to ask me some questions and listen to things I say. Because it's, time for, because it's time for the food critic segment, I promised. Oh, food critic. I like those. Now, we're going to talk about not one book, not two book. Four? Not three book. Wait, yes, three book. Three books. We're talking about three books. Three books. Not four. That's a lot of books at once. Yeah. But they're short books. Like short books or just books that are short. Books that are short. Okay. And it is ta -da -da, the Cheese Runners trilogy. I love Chris cheese. Yes. So I'm going to be talking about the series as a whole. I'm okay. going to do my best not to give spoilers. Um, but it is, the three books are Cheese Runners, Cheese Rustlers, and Cheese Lord. I'm guessing they have something to do with cheese. Yes. Well, we've listened to the story. We listened to Cheese Pirates a little bit ago. So now we kind of have an idea that there are these aliens called the Farfnians. And they're basically giant space crabs. Ew. And they have ruined the Earth's economy. They've taken over a huge amount of the galaxy. They're not very nice. They're not. And they find cheese to be a narcotic. So do I. And it can only be cheese that comes from the milk of cows. And cows are native to one planet in the galaxy. Earth. Earth. Which makes us potentially very powerful. Okay. Except that it's a drug. Cheese is a drug. And drugs are usually frowned upon in polite societies. Exactly. I think I see where this is going. Badness. Jesus. Oh, but so much fun. Oh, Cheesy badness. Yeah. So, specifically, really, really good cheddar is a highly valued commodity. Well, yeah. And over the course of the trilogy, we see our main character, Harry Fish, go from being a simple cheese smuggler to running one of the biggest dairy and cheese production facilities on Earth. So he becomes a dairy farmer. Essentially, yes. More like a CEO. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we go through everything from, you know, the very first raid where he's got, you know, decoy cheese. It's not the good cheese, but that's what he wants them to actually confiscate mm -hmm. to a, an entire dairy farm has been stolen. Oh, yeah. Well, that just sucks. To, holy crap, the galaxy is going to implode if bad things happen. It, well, yeah, things would implode if bad things happen. The intensity does skyrocket. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. So it goes from very small picture to big picture. Oh, yeah. Gross. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, did the plot feel well-paced? Was it action-y? Was it more character-driven? Well, you know, what What was the driving force behind this plot? What was the pacing? They're, like? they're very much comedies. So okay. it's it's honestly it's all trying to get to the next joke, but the plot does serve that very well, and it serves the plot in turn. Um, everything revolves around Harry, and Harry is the quintessential smart Alec. Oh, fun! Oh yeah, he's well. You, you heard him in the story. He's like yeah. that the entire time. The whole series reads as though you're in a bar and Harry is just telling you the story of what happened. 
Nice. It's great. Um, the only issue I did have was that the end of the trilogy seemed a bit abrupt and wasn't quite as satisfying as I would have liked. It like made... a less satisfying cheddar. Yeah, more like a, a, a mild cheddar. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> it just, it left me wanting more and not in a good way. Okay. That's fair. Um, but, I mean, it, it's such a good ride to get to the end. More about the journey than the destination, then. Absolutely. Okay. Sometimes that can be worth it, though. Especially if there are good characters. Were there? There were. Harry's crew, and I hate to use the term, you know, ragtag band of misfits. But, oh my god, they're a ragtag band of misfits. Well, in a story that's about cheese pirates, I would expect nothing less. Let me let me put it this way. We've got Harry, who, as I said, is the quintessential smart aleck. His security chief, Turk, is huge and just wants to hit stuff. He gets, you know, all the jokes about just him, you know, being two seconds too late to the party. So we have Mal and Jane. We've got Mal and Jane. Um, we've got the ship's cook. His name is Mishi. Mm-hmm. Now, I will go ahead and say this. It's been a little bit since I've actually listened to them, so I'm going to apologize if I do get some names wrong, Chris. And I know that there's at least one I've forgotten, and I feel terrible about it. But anyway, Mishi the chef. Mm-hmm. He's an alien mm-hmm. that lives on a planet where 100-degree heat is like it's snowing. Jeez. He sleeps in the oven, usually. <laughs> and he he was my favorite character, hands down. He was so much fun. Just all these outbursts, because he's got the temper to go with his body temperature. Okay. Um, we've got the pilot, Kick, who will... Who we met in the story. Who we, who we briefly saw in the story, and absolutely will get it on with anything. <laughs> and Except a human. Except humans. Except humans. Then there is another one of my favorite characters, and I feel so bad because his name is the one I can't remember. He's an immortal. Ooh. But he has lived so long that he's pretty much bored with life. Mm-hmm. And he's looking for that one thing that's going to be interesting. And he's convinced it's going to be dying horribly. So Okay, so, then. <laughs> so he wants to just, you know, walk off the ship into space. Because that would be very interesting. Okay, then. But he's an amazing mechanic. Mm-hmm. So, or engineer, sorry. So, yeah, get it right. Yeah. But the, just the whole crew is, it's such a mess. And everybody's, their interactions with each other, and specifically their interactions with Harry, are huge. And they come through in very strange ways to help solve the, you know, help save the day and solve the problem. So they felt like they could be real personalities. Caricatures of them. But well, yes, of absolutely. In something farcical like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they fit together. As one of those weird 3D puzzles where you force the pieces together and you ended up making, instead of making the Eiffel Tower, you make the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but it somehow works. <laughs> That's one of the best analogies I think I've ever heard. Thank you. That was awesome. You should write. I, oh my God, I could be a writer. I know. Oh yeah, I'm a writer. Write. I, I did. R-I-G-H-T. Left. 
Oh my. <laughs> Moving on. So what audience would you recommend this series for? I would say young adult and up. Okay. Because there's not any real super explicit sexual content that I remember, but there is insinuation. Okay. I mean, we've like I said, we've got kick. Yeah. She's she's a xenophile. Harry has a huge crush on her. Mm-hmm. There are some incidents where clothes are getting removed. Mm-hmm. There is an incident with an electronic dress that I think went transparent at some point. Oh, fun! If I remember right, there were, I remember the, the there was a thing with the dress, and um, yeah. Anyway, you're blushing. That's adorable. Thanks. So young adult and up. Yeah, as long as you've got a sense of humor and aren't afraid of a little, you know, strong innuendo. I don't remember there being a lot of strong language because you heard in the story there's a part where it's expletive deleted. Yeah. That that happens in the, the main trilogy too. <laughs> so so yeah. It's 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 edited within itself. Nice. But yeah, as long as you've got a good sense of humor, I say go for it. Let yourself enjoy it. Okay. Alright, so how many spoons, one to five, would you give each of these books individually? Okay. Cheese Runners, book one. I give four spoons. Okay. Respectable. Mm-hmm. Book two, Cheese Rustlers. I give four spoons. Also respectable. And the last book, Cheese Lord, I give three and a half spoons. Mostly just because of that ending. Because the ending is. But, but that does give the entire series a respectable four spoons. That's great. Yeah. It was it was very consistent. They, they fit well together. And it was definitely a whole story. Mm-hmm. I just... Wanted more on the ending. A little more time towards the ending. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But it's still something that you seem to highly recommend. I do. If if you're looking for something that's going to give you... I, I don't want to say a cheap laugh, but... It, a it, cheese laugh. Then then go get these books. Okay. Tell, tell Chris that we sent you. It will amuse him. And, while he's on his boat. And it will amuse you when you listen to him. Oh! God, you're so cheesy. Nineteen forty Chicago. The Nazis may have lost the war, but the legacy of their occult projects still stumble the streets. Ghouls and zombies live in their own tiny ghetto where necromancy and crime thrive. Marcus Sage, veteran of the war and private investigator, is called upon to search the haystack of the undead for the needle of a missing briefcase. A small task, but one that leads through the world of crooked politics, organized crime, and the dark tendrils of necromancy itself to the middle of explosive repercussions that threaten to burn the entire city to the ground. From author James Silverstein comes the hard-boiled gumshoe and zombie story that you've been waiting for. Necropolis, book one in the case files of the undead. Look for it on Amazon and other fine ebook retailers on September 2nd. And tell them Marcus Sage sent you. But just remember, in the Necropolis, everyone wants to hear you scream. So we just talked about these books and, and how you can get them on Audible and everything. Weren't we supposed to give something away? 
the audible codes for all three of those books we talked about. That's right. That, yes, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Okay. All right. So at the beginning of the year, we announced a contest to write a flash fiction story about some sort of mystic cheese that was intended to, you know, go along with this episode. And guess what? It does. Yay themes. Yay theme. Um, That prompt actually is still open for another month and a half, just FYI. So you still oh. have an opportunity to get your stories in. Not a month and a half. Like, four and a half months. Anyway. That's a lot longer. Yeah, that's a lot longer. So, you know, send us those stories. You know, we're always No happy. matter how cheesy they are. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, we always like it when you send us stuff. Send us stuff. But the contest is now over, and we're going to announce the winner. There was a winner. There, it was definitive. Absolutely. So the winner of the three Audible Codes to get the Cheese Runners trilogy is... Can I get a drum roll? No. Oh. Unless you add it in post. Can I get a drumstick? Like the ice cream cone? Sure. Sure, go to the store. Okay, I'll be back. Back? And my front. We're both here. Oh my. Our winner, can I get a drum roll, please? Only if you add it in post. Can I get a drumstick? We've done this before. We're, We're stuck, stuck in, in a loop. loop. Jinx. Oh, this is going to be a fun rest of the episode. August. <laughs> she said my name. Um, can I wow. get a drum roll, please? What do you want me to do? Will you stop that? <laughs> this is fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> the winner is Hugh O'Donnell. Hugh! Hugh has been a friend of the podcast pretty much since we started. And he's just awesome. But he is the lucky winner of the three Audible codes. So, Hugh, we will be in touch. And we will get those codes to you ASAP. Yay, Hugh! We love you! Congratulations, Hugh. Thank you for entering the contest. And thanks to everybody else who sent submissions. You're awesome. I think that's all we had, Aaron. Well, except for all the information that they might need if they want to buy something or send us something or back us somehow or, you know, that or, stuff. Yeah. So, in order, so if you wanted to buy something, you would go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash themeltingpodcast and you can get Melting Podcast swag. Stuff! And if you wanted to send us stuff, then you would go and look at our submissions page and also our prompts page. Ooh, prompts. We have two currently open prompts. Prompt number 11. The empanadas you just took out of the oven exploded and something alive is emerging. That's the one that ends in a month and a half. There you go. And prompt number 12. Write a story featuring some kind of mystic cheese. I recommend blue. I recommend Munster. Well, I, I recommended blue because sometimes it kind of has that swirly mystical look. That's mold. Well, you don't have to eat. Yes, it's mold, but it's yummy mold. <laughs> I will eat it, and I will be happy. I recommend Munster because then it can be monstrous. Munster monstrous. Mon a Munster monster. Or like I said earlier, you can Gruyere own. Oh, God. You did it, you, you did it again. <laughs> I did it again. I told you. I waited all day for that stupid joke. Yeah. So anyway, those are our two prompts. Um, 1,500 words or less flash fiction. Just submit them to themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. And you'll get on the show more than likely. And if you want to submit a main ingredient. 
5,000 words or less. Can be about whatever you want. Mm -hmm. We do prefer to keep it safe for work, you know, PG to PG-13. Just FYI. No erotica. Don't be gratuitous. It's pretty simple. Yeah. So if you just have a a 5,000 word or less story sitting around that you don't have anything to do with, send it to us. We'll produce it in audio. More often than not, we do full voice casts, even if it's just the three of us. Mm -hmm. And you'll get to hear your work. It's pretty awesome, guys. And it's a lot of fun for us, too. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Especially when we get Theo recording, because he can't talk. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now, if you wanted to back us somewhere. Not into a corner. We don't like that. No. If you would like to- I have claws. Ah. Santa Claus? Mrs. Or are you a brown farf? No, Mrs. Claus. We have kids, and, and, and we play Santa, so Theo Santa and Mrs. Claus. See, it actually makes sense. But it's it's Valentine's Day stuff, yeah. so. Um, I, I have lover's claws. Give it ten months, we'll see what happens. No, we won't. <laughs> anyway. Oven off. <laughs> anyway, if you wanted to back us somewhere, you would go to patreon.com slash afgrappin. That's me. No, it's not. That's me. Right. Yeah, so I thought. and You thought? For as little as $1 an episode, you can help support us financially with web hosting, um, all the you know stuff that goes into making this podcast. We're trying to get to the point where we can actually pay people who send us stories. Yeah, so if you want to send us stuff and you want to get paid for sending us stuff, then you need to back us. Mm-hmm. But you also get swag. You get bonus content, you get at the very least one backer-only episode a year, and there are occasions when you can get episodes early. We had it, um, our February 1st episode, our backers got like a week early mm-hmm. because it was ready, so they got it a week ahead of time. Yep. There are a lot of advantages, guys. Mm-hmm. And the swag that you get is stuff that you can't get at our shop. It's so, exclusive. Yeah. And let's see. The last thing is if you wanted to rate us. Oh, yeah. iTunes. iTunes. We are on the iTunes store, the Melting Podcast. The stars help, guys. They really do. It helps us get out there. It helps other people find us. Helps our visibility. And it's a little bit of an ego boost. Well, yeah, especially since everybody's going to give us five stars because we're awesome. They should give us 70 stars. They don't make those. Oh, I make them. Oh, awesome. But not on iTunes. Curse you. No. Anyway, rate us on iTunes. Um, I think you can rate us on Podbean, where we actually do our hosting. I'm not sure. But you can always follow us there. I mean, it's not going to hurt. It's more exposure. Yay, exposure. Just not skin. No. Because I will burn. No, because this is a, you know, work-friendly And also my skin will burn. Yeah, that too. But I think that covers everything, Erin. Yeah, I do keep my skin covered, because I'll burn. (laughs) Wow. Anyway. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) That was fun. You know what goes well with cheese? Crackers? Wine. So have a glass of wine, if you're old enough. And write us a story about cheese, and what rhymes with enough? Stuff. Send us stuff. You know what else runs with enough? 
Your writing's all fluff. It, this is really tough. I keep working out, I'll get buff. Put your hands in a muff. Watch out for the handcuff. I'm done. Theotoxin sometimes is gruff. That is true. Don't storm off in a huff. Okay, you can stop now. We'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. <laughs>